Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. Well, good morning. Go ahead and take your copy of God's Word with me to uh, turn to the book of Romans. Chapter 5 is where we are going to be this morning. As you're turning there, let me reference a famous piece of art that we are all familiar with, uh, Michelangelo's David. Now, when I was a kid, I used to think Michelangelo was a ninja turtle. I've since learned that he was a famous artist. And, uh, and so Michelangelo made this statue in 1501, essentially. It took him a few years to carve this. Uh, that has come to be known as David. It's a masterpiece of Renaissance art for a few reasons. Um, one of the reasons uh, really has to do with the sheer size of the thing. It's about 17 feet tall. A lot of times we'd think it's, and I, I remember it wasn't that long ago that I thought it was uh, probably the size of, of, a, of a person, but it's 17 feet tall. Also, one of the, the more nuanced things about this particular piece of art is that um, it was made... Uh, to showcase David preparing or about to go into battle versus having already won the battle, which was pretty different back then. And so one of the things that is remarkable about the statue when you look at it is the stoic face of David as he's preparing to go in, in, and fight and face this giant. And so for some of these reasons and more, uh, this statue named David has become one of the, the items on what you could call the Mount Rushmore of, uh, of famous pieces of art in human history. But the true story of this work is in the chaotic creation of it. And so it's one thing to look at the piece of art, but it's really the story behind the piece of art that helps give it some of the notoriety that that's gained over the years. For one, it was carved from a rejected piece of block, a rejected piece of marble. There were other artists at the time that had taken this chunk of marble and they had tried to start working on it and using it and carving something out of it, and they determined that it was a useless piece of junk, and so they discarded it. And Michelangelo comes along, he says, Cowabunga, dude, he says, I can do this. <laughs> he looks at that, that piece of block and he begins to carve on it, and it took him three years three years to carve this thing out of this marble, and yet as he began to take this rejected, discarded piece of stone, his struggle began to turn to joy. Why? Because he didn't celebrate, nor do we celebrate his achievement despite the trials that it took for him to create it. No, we celebrate it because of those trials, because of the story, because of the fact that this block was rejected, because it took him a long time, because it, what has been produced out of these things is, is so beautiful. And without these challenges, David would have really, really never been revealed. In fact, you, it, it's simple to say that David was not going to carve himself. He had to have the hands of a sculptor come upon him and begin chiseling away. This is the message of Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. The message of Romans 5 is this, that, that you and I, that we are like a block of stone that you could even say has been discarded. It's been rejected. That many would look at and say, what could I do with this? And yet, there are the hands of a divine sculptor that wants to come onto your life and, and begin to, to chisel away and, and to begin to scrape away the unnecessary things in order to produce something with your life. The, the difference, though, is that we are not marble, we are flesh. 
And because of that, the scraping and the chiseling tends to hurt more than it did for the actual statue that we call David. And this is the, the tension in today's text, which is that tribulations are part of the Christian experience. A lot of times we think that, well, becoming a Christian will mean that I can kind of live transcendently of trials and tribulations when, in fact, the opposite is actually true. That part of the Christian and really the human experience is to walk through tribulations. But what we're going to see today is that we don't do that without hope. So today's sermon of sentence is this. Life's tribulations serve to refine you, not to define you, because we are upheld by the peace that Christ has outlined. And so life's tribulations serve to define Serve, uh, do not serve to uh, define, but uh, really serve to refine you because we are upheld by the peace that Christ has outlined. So there are a couple of different things that we're going to see in this text that really kind of support that point, and uh, two subpoints you could say. And here's the first one I want you to see this morning: that in a world that is shaken, faith in God's grace lays a bedrock of peace beneath us. Now look with me at verses one and two of Romans chapter five. Let's read those verses together. Paul says, therefore. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, this is the value of us walking through the book of Romans together, is that verses 1 and 2 summarize everything that we spent 40 minutes talking about last week. And so, and then you're probably thinking, why did we spend 40 minutes talking about it? Because it helps us understand it better, okay? And so in verses one and two, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have now peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom also we've obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we now stand. So I want you to look with me at the word peace there in verse one, peace with God. This is kind of a new way that Paul is now summarizing everything that he spent chapter four, chapter three, chapter two, and chapter one building up. So verses one and two here are, are summarizing this, and, and he uses this phrase, peace with God. You, if you've been justified not by your works or by your actions or your good deeds or yourself, but if you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then what Paul says is that you have peace with God. Peace with God. Now, in a Roman context in which Paul was writing, the word peace really meant the absence of conflict. And so much like today, Rome was constantly in war. And so when there was a rare season where they were not engaged in any kind of uh, activity, warlike activity, the word peace would be used in such a way to describe the absence of conflict. Now, Paul is revolutionizing the word here because that's not necessarily what he means. He's not talking about peace as, in, as if it's the absence of conflict, as if, uh, as if you're, you're living a life where there, is, uh, there are storms and then there's just the absence of a storm, and then you think, well, this is what, what peace is. No, what he means here is that there are still storms happening and occurring but because you have a right relationship with God, you have peace while you are living in the storm. See, there's a big difference between the way that the world defines peace, world peace. We're always going after world peace. And that means the absence of conflict. But the Bible tells a story that because of original sin, the world will always be in conflict until Jesus comes. In fact, when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're praying for the second coming of Jesus Christ because he's the only one who can bring true peace to the Middle East and to the world. And so what we have here is this idea, this, this new idea that Paul is giving us of peace. So peace isn't something passive when he uses it. It's not something accidental. 
but it's something active and something intentional. And what's more, this kind of peace is a present possession and also an ongoing experience for the believer. So if you've been justified by faith, then right now you have the peace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ in your life, regardless of what's going on in your life. If you have a health condition, a financial condition, a situation happening relationally in your life, guess what? Yes, those conflicts are swirling around you, but you still have peace with God. And the result of that peace is what he says in verse two, which is this, that you can stand in the middle of those storms. So imagine with me that this, this platform up here is peace and I'm standing on this, on this peace because I have the right relationship with God. I'm able to stand firm in the middle of all the storms that may come. Now I wanna illustrate this word peace for you. Can we put that, um, that picture up? This is uh, Rembrandt's Storm on the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful painting. I've had to cut off a little bit of it just to fit it on the screen, but I think we can... I think we can um, by the way, it's been stolen and, and never recovered. And so what we have here is just a, a, a picture of it. Um, we can't go and, and see uh, the original right now. But uh, this is a, be- a beautiful painting of uh, the scene in Mark chapter 4. And I think that this painting that Rembrandt painted back in the 1600s captures what Paul means when he says that we can stand on peace, that we have peace in the middle of the storm. So let me kind of walk through this painting with you a little bit and just kind of unpack it so that you understand a little bit what's going on. Um, first off, this painting is a, uh, it's a painting of crisis. It's not a painting of a daisy in a field without any wind, without any rain. Immediately when you look at this painting, you immediately realize that it has to do with chaos. It has to do with crisis. And uh, there are a lot of things, uh, there are a lot of reasons for that, one of which is that the boat is, uh, is tilted. It's not, it's, not, um, hor- it's not in a landscape. It, it's not horizontal. It's essentially more vertical than it is horizontal. And when you look at that, it, it intimates to you that this ship is, is uh, being tossed by the wind. Uh, you can't see it very well from where you're sitting, but if you were to zoom in, you would look at the faces of uh, the disciples in the boat with Jesus, and you would see that, for example, this guy right here, you can see as he grasps um, this, uh, this piece of fabric from the cell and he's wrapping it around uh, this post here, you can see how strong he's holding on and you can see the anguish in, on his face and you can see the despair in their faces. In fact, you have this guy right here who's holding on to this rope and it's as if he's looking out at those who are viewing and peering into the painting and he's saying, save us, someone help us, someone, anyone. And you have all these guys over here who are rushing over to, to Christ, who we're going to look at in a minute, who are just begging for some kind of hope, begging for some kind of help. You also have the tempest. And, uh, and you can see the waves as they are gushing and rushing against the boat. And it looks right here, and I love this part of the painting, because it looks like the waves are about to spill out of the painting onto the floor of uh, the museum that you might be standing on if the, if the painting had not been stolen. All of this pictures for us this idea of chaos. But over here on the right side of the boat, you have, you have Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one through whom we have peace. And, he, and he's sitting there, and of all the faces that look so despairing and full of anguish, you have the face of Christ, who's someone who's just woken up from a nap. And yet all of this is happening around him, the face of Christ. And, and I love how Rembrandt, position Jesus because he's sitting there in the midst of this cluster of of disciples, which I think is a way of 
really speaking about the incarnation of Jesus who is entering into this human experience that we call tribulation, that we call trial. And one thing that Rembrandt is known for is called chiascaro, and it, and, it, and it means the power of, comp- uh, the power of contrast. And, and he has this in a lot of his paintings, but over here you see this vivid, beautiful light coming down. And of course, on this side, divided by the boat, you have darkness. You can see some of the bands of light starting to penetrate through the darkness here. But when you, uh, when you follow, your eyes are following the bands of light, and it's following the light all the way down, pointing to none other than the central uh, focus of this painting, which is Jesus Christ. And I love how even around the head of Jesus, you can see the light emanating off of him, which is distorting the dark color of the boat. Why? Because Jesus is there in the middle of the crisis, in the middle of the chaos, and he's there, and he's undisturbed by all of that. This, church, is a picture of what Paul is painting for us when it means peace. It's not the absence of conflict. It's peace in the middle of conflict, and the focus of that peace is none other than Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying it is through him, through him, through a relationship with him, through faith in him, that you can find that peace. Now, there's one last thing I want you to see before we move on from this, this painting. Those of you who, uh, who study art and follow art, you're going to know where I'm going with this. But this guy right here is more than just a mere disciple. Uh, some uh, scholars believe that this is a picture of Rembrandt who is painting himself into the portrait. And he's holding on to this rope, and he's looking out at you, and he's looking out at me. And Rembrandt himself had a life of crisis, He had four children, three of them died. He then lost his mother. He then lost his wife. Then he went bankrupt. He was a man who was acquainted with grief. And so I can imagine when he comes upon a passage like Mark chapter four, and he's thinking about about chaos and crisis in life, he, he inserts himself into this story. And I, and I think that this painting depicts a moment of crisis. And what he wants us to understand is that we relate to him and he relates to us for whatever it is that we're going through. And so as we're standing there gazing at this, this portrait, we can't help but feel like maybe, maybe that's how we feel right now, that we're in the boat of the storm. Now, here, here's the, the last thing to consider about this. This is not the end of the story, right? As Christians, we know that Mark chapter four is not just about a boat that is in a storm that is being tossed to and fro. We know that Jesus is in the boat, that he's in the storm, and what does he do and what does he say in the next scene of this story? He says, peace be still. He speaks to the water, he speaks to the wind, and it listens to him. Now, I don't know about you, but last time I tried to do that, it didn't work. Sometimes on a hot summer day, I would say, rain, start pouring down, and it doesn't happen. But Jesus, who's in the boat, sees the the anguish on their faces, and he speaks to these natural elements that, by the way, were created through him, according to Colossians. And as if they have ears, they listen, and what's more, they obey. And of course, the disciples say, who is this, that even the wind and the waves obey him? Listen, this is what Paul means when he's talking about peace. We have chaos in our life all of the time. As it's been said, some of us, all of us, we're either walking into a time of crisis, we are in a time of crisis, or we're walking out of a time of crisis. It's where all of us are. 
And so this message that Paul is giving us is more than just the absence of conflict. It's finding peace with Christ in the midst of crisis. This painting gives us this visual metaphor for the message in Romans 5.1. Despite the storms of life, despite the storms of life, there is a peace that is centered and grounded in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing that he wants us to see in this passage is this, that we can exult, now that we have the foundation of peace on which we stand, we can exult in tribulations because they hone the hope that we have in Christ. They hone the hope that we have in Christ. Look with me at verse two. The second part of verse two, we just uh, looked at the first part. He says, and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. We exult in hope of the glory of God. Let's keep reading down to verse four. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance proven character and proven character brings about hope. So the object of this hope is the glory of God. But I want you to notice something. He, he says we exult in hope at the end of verse two. And then at the end of verse five, everything that's in the middle points ultimately towards hope. And so what he's saying here is sandwiched by hope. So hope is, is, is on the outside, both sides of this sandwich called tribulation, all right? So whenever life serves us a grilled cheese sandwich called trial, understand that the, the wrapping of that trial is the sandwich of the hope of Christ. And so Paul does something interesting here, and this is where we start seeing the tension of what it means to live out our faith in the real world Rome, modern day America, what he does here is he talks about the process of hope. And so after talking about how we hope in the glory of God, he tells us how that hope is honed, which is not only exulting in the hope of God, but exulting also in tribulations. Why? Because the way that we get the hope of the glory of God ultimately is through the tribulations that we walk through. And so he outlines the sequence of suffering of this human experience. He, he starts with the word tribulation. And that word tribulation uh, for Paul meant things like physical beatings or stoning or imprisonment. For us, it usually means health crisis or economic crisis or even natural disasters. And so it, 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 there are real things that happen to us. And we ought to never deny that those things are happening. Sometimes as Christians, we say, well, I'm all good, I'm all good. Listen, we are all good, but that's not the meaning of the word peace. And that's not the meaning of the word hope in the glory of God. It means that you confront in reality the crisis that you're going through, but people see that you are looking to Jesus who's in the boat with you. You're not ignoring the fact that the storm's happening around you. You're showing that you're looking to the one who's going to calm the wind and the waves in your life. And so tribulation is this thing that happens. And then he talks about how when you go through tribulation in verse three, not only this, but we exult in those tribulations. Why? Knowing that they bring about perseverance. What is perseverance? It's not passive, but it's active. It's a robust endurance. It's the capacity to remain firm, standing on the peace of Christ, through those trials that, that come along, which by the way, perseverance is only and can only be developed through tribulation. Sometimes we, we like to get this idea that we can persevere, we just don't want the trials that come with it. It's like saying, well, I wanna get big muscles, I just don't wanna go to the gym. But whenever you go to the gym and you're lifting those weights, they're ripping those muscles so that they can rebuild. And so that's the way that tribulations work in our life spiritually. And so when these when these spiritual trials and tribulations that sometimes are manifested in, or in physical ways that produce spiritual perseverance in us, it's a way for God to produce this thing called perseverance so that we can further and further and deeper and deeper and in a richer and richer way, look to Jesus who's in the boat. 
And then he says that this perseverance results in proven character in verse 4. Not just character, but proven character. Tested and tried character. Character that has been refined. Helen Keller, who is blind and deaf, says this, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened. Ambition inspired and success achieved. Some years ago, um, Leonardo da Vinci, he had painted um, the Mona Lisa. Around the same time that David had, uh, or Michelangelo had sculpted uh, David, 1503 or so. And, uh, and he made this painting, the Mona Lisa, and it was, it was a good painting back then. It was something that people would look at and they would appreciate, but it, it wasn't at the level that it is now. Well, a lot of us don't realize that Mona Lisa in 1911 was actually stolen from the Louvre there in Paris. And, uh, and it was lost for a couple of years. And so someone, a handyman who was working there because they were doing renovations, he walked in, he took off his coat, he put it around the painting and walked right out of the front door with it. And it was lost for two years. And they call this the halo effect, which was that all of the newspapers back then, social media in that day, young, young fellas, was that all of the headlines were Mona Lisa stolen. And so everyone was on the search for this painting. And that is the reason why the Mona Lisa has, has gained the notoriety that it has gained today. Yes, it's a beautiful painting in its own respect. Everyone wants to know what, what she's smiling about, right? What's the big secret? Dan Brown has written a whole fictional book on that, on, on trying to answer that question. But for us, when we look at it again, it's not just the painting, but it's the story behind the painting that has helped given it this, this meaning that resonates with so many of us, that people will travel from all over the world to stand in that museum in Paris to look at that painting because of the story of how it went through this trial and yet it's still hanging on the wall. Paul's telling us here, when it comes to our lives, he wants us to understand that the message is that the peace we have in Christ is not only unshakable as we stand on it as a foundation, but it's also shaping. It shapes you and it molds you and it, and it tells a story of God through your life. This, by the way, is the motto that we have here at this church, that God wants to tell his story through your life. And, and when we look at trials and tribulations as these things that we want to avoid at all costs, and we don't, we don't give God an opportunity to author and pen his story in our life through these trials and tribulations that happen in the real world outside of these walls, then what we're doing is we're robbing ourselves of the perseverance that produces a proven character that points to the peace and hope of Jesus Christ in a lost and dying world. In fact, Ephesians chapter 10, uh, Paul, the author who's also authoring this book here in Romans, says this. He says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship in Greek is the word poema, which is where we get the English word poem from. And so when we write these stories in the form of a poem, we are doing the same thing that Paul says that God does in our life, which is to write a poem with your life. That he wants to do something with your life. It conveys the idea of something artfully created, a masterpiece. He wants your life to be a masterpiece walking around in a world full of tribulation. And the way that he does that is he hones the hope in you through trials and tribulations. Now, as Paul begins to wrap this up in Romans 5, I want you to look with me in verses 5 and 6. Because he tells us not merely of trials like getting stoned back in Paul's day or imprisoned 
or even martyrdom or for us, whatever it is that we go through. But he wants to lay the true bedrock of what trials and tribulations truly are. The greatest trial ever is not not having enough money in your bank account. The greatest trial ever is not being diagnosed with a terminal illness. That is really bad. We don't want to deny that. The greatest, the greatest trial you've ever gone through is not a broken relationship. Those things are true and they're real and they're bad. But the greatest tribulation that you've ever experienced and that anyone has ever experienced is separation from God because of sin. And we are the one, by the way, we are the villain in that story who created that. So Paul wants to address that as he's wrapping up this thought here in Romans 5. And he says, Hope does not disappoint. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. Look at verse six. Here's how he does this. Here is how he poured out hope. The bread of the sandwich of tribulation is that while, verse six, we were still sinners, while we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were helpless, when we stood there in the boat of life and we felt like Jesus wasn't there and we looked around like Rembrandt holding on and we were looking out saying, someone help me. But that's not what Jesus did. He did not leave us in the boat to be overtaken by the storm. He enters into humanity. He takes on flesh. He becomes one of us and he dies. And so let's keep reading. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, Paul says, of which we are not, by the way, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even die. Remember, Paul says in Romans 3, there are none good. So if there were, perhaps Jesus would do, someone would do that. But, but Jesus, God demonstrates his own love toward you and toward me, toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 11. And not only this, but we also, because of this, exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. The point is, when the greatest tribulation of all threatened to suffocate all of the hope out of our lives, Jesus died for you. When you were helpless and couldn't do anything about your sin, Jesus died for you. When you were a sinner who betrayed God, Jesus died for you. He rescued you. He reached out to you. He's the one who is there to help us. Why? In order that we may have hope, which comes through Jesus Christ. Now, um, about a year or so ago, I, had, uh, I, had, I was thinking about hope, and I had written out all these verses on hope, and I was thinking about the rule of three for survival. You've heard of the rule of three, I'm sure. It says that a person, uh, when, they're trying, when they're in a survival situation, they could survive for three hours without a shelter in a harsh environment, so if extreme cold, extreme snow, extreme heat, whatever, you can survive for three days without water, and you can survive for three weeks without food. But what Paul's telling us is that all of that is true physically, but you cannot survive a single moment without hope. You can't do it. So he wants us to understand that whatever we're going through, whatever harsh condition is coming on, going on in our life, that you have hope in Christ. And so listen to some of these verses that, that the word of God gives us. Place your hope completely on the grace of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1. Job says, indeed, there is hope for a tree 
If the tree's cut down and still sprouting and its shoots don't fall, uh, fell, if its roots age in the ground and its stump dies in the dust, at the scent of water, it will bud and begin to produce sprouts like a plant. Hebrew says, let's hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Romans says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Romans also says, we were saved in hope. First Timothy says, our hope is set on the living God. First Peter says, that our faith and our hope should rest in God. Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future. Isaiah says, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Psalm 33 says, may your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Listen, the word of God is painted with hope and he wants to use your life as the canvas. But it's not just your life in general. What he wants to do is he wants to write this poem, this, this, produce this workmanship in your life. He wants to carve and scrape and chisel your life through tribulations to produce perseverance that produces pr- proven character that expresses to a lost and dying world that there is a platform of peace on which you can stand because of the hope of Jesus Christ. This is the message that he's giving us here in Romans chapter five. This is the hope that we have, and this is... What, he, what we mean when we say that life's tribulations serve to refine, not to define, because we're upheld by the peace of Christ, which has been outlined for us here in the word of God. You know, Michelangelo said this of his statue, David. He said, um, when, when people were asking, how in the world did you create something so beautiful? And it really is. When you go and look at some of this, this Renaissance art, these statues, you can look at the arms and you can see these guys studied the muscles and, and the veins and they studied uh, human anatomy in order pr- to produce something that was so lifelike even though it came out of the stone. And he said, I saw the angel in the marble and I just set him free. In other words, what he said was, I just removed what, what didn't need to be there. And when I did, it was an inverse way of looking at it. He didn't create it, he discovered it. It was already there, he just removed the things that needed to to be removed in order to show this statue in God's creation, in other words. So Paul's saying your life is. You are a person made in the image of God. And there are these things that, that original sin is kind of tacked onto us. And God wants to chisel those things out of you and off of you and away from you And it hurts. Man, it hurts sometimes. The emotional and spiritual pain and the physical pain that we go through as we walk through these trials and tribulations, we we don't even understand why these things happen. But listen, apologetically speaking, the problem of evil, of why are there bad things that happen, well, we may not be able to answer that in a way that satisfies all of uh, humanity, but here's what I do know. That if you try to remove God from the equation by showcasing the problem of evil, guess what? You still have the problem of evil, but now you don't have any hope. What Paul's telling us is that we're not only going to walk through trials and tribulations in such a way just to try to prove the existence of God. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that you can walk through these trials because God already exists. He's he's there. He knows He's aware, and he can produce something good out of whatever you're going through. So as you are walking your way through modern-day Rome, and all these things are happening to try to suffocate hope, remember that Jesus is there in the boat with you. And he's there. He's not afraid. And he can speak to the water, and he can speak to the winds, and he can surely speak. And the trial may still happen, and it may come to fruition, and some bad things can happen, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is not there. 
He is. He's there. And he went through the greatest experience of trial in the history of humanity, which is to die on the cross for your, on your behalf. And that's how we know that he is there. And the greatest trial that we could ever go through, he has solved that problem. And through faith, you can have hope and peace with God through him. I don't know what you're going through in your life this morning. Um, what kind of trial the Lord might be bringing up in your heart. Um, but we always have a time of response. And this altar, we want to open it up for you this morning as an opportunity for you to respond. And maybe this trial has really just been overtaking your life. And you saw that picture of that boat and you thought, man, Pastor Jared, that is my life. And I feel like the waters are just kind of rushing and spilling over onto the deck and sinking the boat. And, I, and maybe this morning you just need to say, Lord, I, uh, I've taken my eyes off of you taken my eyes off of you and I've not really been standing on peace. And maybe you just need to pray a simple prayer today that, that reestablishes your eyes on Jesus. But, or maybe you're someone tuning in or someone that's here who's really never looked to Jesus. And you're wondering, how can I get that kind of faith that you're talking about? We would love the opportunity to talk with you about what it means to confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we have a really simple pathway for you. You just click one button. The button says, No Jesus, on our website, tatesprings.com. That will click uh, a web, an email that will go to me, and I will reach out to you through whatever contact information you want to put there, and I'll follow up with you about what it means to know Jesus as Lord. Would you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we love you and we adore you, and we thank you for the day that you've made. We thank you for this time that you've given us to sing songs about how we'll stand in the fire because we know that you're there too. And if the cross brings transformation, Lord, we'll take it all. And so, Lord, I, I pray that your word would land on our hearts this morning in a way that shapes us, that we know that we're standing on an unshakable foundation of peace with God through Christ, and that we would exult in tribulations because we know, Lord, they produce perseverance, which produces proven character, which points back to the hope that we already have and reminds us of it. So Lord, I pray that your word would encourage those of us who need it this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.